This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey there, thanks so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. It's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the founders, the farmers, the innovators, the investors, the people who are shaping the future of the agriculture industry. Our guest today is Janice Person, the Online Engagement Director for Bayer Crop Science. I have known Janice for a couple years now, but mostly our interactions have been online, on Twitter, on Facebook, on maybe on LinkedIn. Um, and so it's it's been fun. We've, we've, been, we've had a chance to meet in person and to talk on the phone before, but it's it's kind of great to catch up with somebody who you feel like you don't talk to very often. But I also think that that's kind of representative of why this episode needs to exist in the first place, which is um, an increasing amount, an overwhelming amount of people get their information, form their worldview based on what's happening online, their connections on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on whatever you name it platform. But that is kind of where we are interacting with the world and an increasing amount. Now, you could argue whether that's good or whether that's bad, but you can't argue, I don't think, that it is happening. And it's extremely important for us as individuals and uh, us as companies and us as an industry to think about how do we engage with others online because they are looking for information and they are forming their worldview with or without you. So what is the proper way to sort of do that? And, and Janice has spent um, a great deal of her career sort of figuring that out. She There wasn't online engagement directors when she started uh, in, in a similar role to what she's in now. And she's sort of figured that out over the years. And I, I was really, really pleased that she agreed to come onto the show to talk about that. And actually what spurred this this episode coming up, a little inside baseball, was uh, I saw that she was going to be at Southwest, South by Southwest. And I just thought that was an interesting question in itself to why would a big ag company uh, want to be at South by Southwest? Why that event? What do they do there, et cetera? So anyway, we get into all of that and so much more. Here's my conversation with my friend, Janice Person. Janice Person, Online Engagement Director at Bayer Crop Science. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's so exciting to be here. I don't ever get to talk to you except on like Twitter and Facebook. I know. We almost got lost there just chatting and forgot to record a podcast. I know. <laughs> it's it's two talkers. God help us. <laughs> well, uh, so I'm going to start off with the hardball question. You're from Memphis, uh, live in St. Louis. We're just in Austin for South by Southwest. Traveled all over the world. Who has the best barbecue? Oh my God, Memphis barbecue down. No way anybody else even competes. And I would say in Memphis, my family prefers Central Barbecue. Now I know there are a lot of other barbecue places in Memphis that have good barbecue and stuff, but I would say maybe some people think more about atmosphere than the food. And in my family, we want the food, but now we found Central also has the atmosphere. So you can watch Memphis basketball games and stuff there. And it truly is heaven on earth. I mean, even beef, though, I can understand pork. I could concede Memphis on pork, but even beef? If it's going to be beef, I will let you have brisket in Texas. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> well, you are an online engagement director, a position that I imagine has not been around for very long. Um, no, we created the title about five years ago. <laughs> 
so tell me about that. When you create a title and you're walking into a position for the first time that really kind of nobody else has ever had, where do you go to learn how to do your job? You go anywhere you want to. I mean, seriously, um, my pathway in was really unique because I already had my, um, my own social media footprint and I had been blogging and I'd been going actually to blogger conferences as a blogger, right? So when we started as a company thinking, oh, we ought to be reaching out to more consumers, maybe the first place we start is bloggers. It was pretty easy to say, hey, Janice, would you do that, right? I mean, I was already on the, the team. I was already a proud supporter of agriculture. So, um, you know, my personal pastime really ended up becoming my job then and letting me do things I could have never done on my personal pastime. So it was really amazing. But in the process, I also had to think, well, what is my job title? And I thought, Blogger outreach sounds limiting. Online engagement sounds so much better. And that way it lets me talk to YouTubers and podcasters and all kinds of other people that live in this online space. And really my job is to go out and meet on, you know, people online, ultimately meet them usually in real life and help connect them to agriculture. Um, or if they're in agriculture, help connect them into, you know, sort of city world that I live in. Very cool. Well, you're going to be the second person in a short period of time on this show that we've had who kind of started off just blogging because they were wanting to kind of put content out in the world and it led to to their profession. We had a guy by the name of Henry Gordon Smith from Agritecture Consulting. It is Urban Ag Consulting. And that's how he started, was kind of blogging. So take us back he to- was, when, He was like, actually in the same place in Austin I was recently. He was on a panel I uh, participated. I went to- Oh, really? Yeah. Huh, very cool. Well, small world. And, I, and yeah, we're definitely going to get more into the South by Southwest stuff here. But but before we do, take us back to when you started the blog. What did you have in mind at that point? I doubt you knew it was going to lead to your, you know, your next career move. But uh, what were you <laughs> thinking when you started it? You know, it's so funny. When I started on Twitter, um, like I came on there and it was like everybody was in the Midwest that was from agriculture. Um, although there were some people in Oklahoma and sometimes that's Midwestern and sometimes it, it can be Southern. Um, but I really was only meeting people primarily in the ice states and Ohio and and then, you know, occasionally somebody in livestock out in another part of the world. And so for me, as JP loves cotton, um, I was kind of the Southerner. <laughs> it felt like, you know, 10 years ago, Twitter was smaller. Um, and so I started there. And the next thing I knew, I was finding myself starting a blog because 140 characters was too limiting. And I had to start a YouTube channel because then I had to be able to show people. And next thing you know, it just, you know, dominoes, it's fallen everywhere. Now I've got accounts on everything, it seems like. But part of it really was... I wanted other people online who were talking about agriculture and ag was really important to them. I wanted them to better understand cotton because at the time cotton was involved in some WTO discussions and things along that line. And maybe I felt like some people were putting cotton a little bit like shoving it in front of a bus. And so um, by me like actively talking about cotton and then starting a blog where I could talk about that too, um, ultimately, I started putting all kinds of stuff on my blog, and then later, uh, I only recently 
took it back out so that all cotton is on one site. So things always evolve in social media. You know, it's great if you like change, if you're going to work in a a field like social media and communications. Um, But it's been really gradual. And um, I really... The the power of social media to help other people see things that my eyes catch has has been amazing for me. Did you ever? Uh, I'm asking this out of pure, uh, you know, personal um, insecurity here. But do you ever, when especially when you're starting your blog, think you know who who am I to to talk about cotton? I'm not a cotton farmer. I didn't grow up on a cotton farm. Uh, I'm not with the cotton council. You know, do you ever have that feeling like, oh boy, uh, should should I really be the one talking about this stuff? <laughs> like all the time. Um, yeah, it's 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 hard for people, including me, to see that we have a certain amount of expertise, even if we're not the expert. And what really sets us apart is our willingness to share that expertise in an open forum. So I'm I'm not the expert. I get it. And lots of people occasionally will remind me I'm not an expert. Um, But I have so much more expertise than most people in America have. I've been on hundreds of cotton farms. I've been able to go through textile mills. I've been on cotton farms in Turkey and in India. And those like on personal vacation days (laughs) and stuff. So I think, you know, we all of us try we have this horrible thing where we discount our own expertise because we know experts. I'm not an expert in beef either, but chances are I have met more, more ranchers, more people who are butchers who are like high tech chefs than almost my entire social network of, you know, friends and family from college and high school and all that. Um, Granted my friends that work for, in, in CBA and some of those things may have me beat on that, but yeah, you know, it's, it's not, I don't have to position myself as an expert, but just share some of the expertise and some of the cool things I've learned by getting those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I appreciate you saying that because it's something I wrestle with on this show. I try to do a blog post reflection about uh, every episode that I can in, in, a, uh, I would say maybe at least half the time I find myself saying like, you know, geez, should I really be the one putting this out into the world? Even though a lot of times I'm quoting the person, the real expert that was on the podcast, but still uh, it's something that I, I occasionally wrestle with. But I think you're right. I think number one, I think sometimes being able to articulate something from the lens of a student rather than an expert can be especially appealing. And then also um, I do think we, we, we tend to undervalue how much we do know about subjects. Well, and I, and I also have to tell you, I do know the experts, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. when I start writing something, if I feel like I may be going a little bit outside of what I know for sure, you know, I have friends who are agronomists. I have friends who are working in textile businesses and stuff, and I'll send them drafts and say, hey, can you take a look at this? Or this week, somebody was asking me questions, and I answered with what I thought, and then I asked some people at Cotton Incorporated, hey, did I miss anything? Because I'll be glad to go back and tell them I missed something. Here's what I said at the time when I responded. What else do I need to know? Right? And so it's building me, and it's helping others in the industry maybe access them. So maybe I can send somebody else a way they may not have ever thought about, right? A lot of people don't realize there are all these great organizations that represent farmers. 
And sometimes people come to my website just because they're like going, why is Hayden Panettiere doing an ad for cotton? You know, like they search on Google for something like that. And I have a blog post that will explain why she sings a song about cotton, right? Mm -hmm. And that it's American cotton farmers that paid for the ad. One thing I do wrestle with, and I, I think you and I have talked about this maybe online and not in person, but um, is just kind of how do we know how do we know when we're doing the, that right? You know, what, how do we track progress? There's going to be people who say negative things. There's going to be people who say positive things. How do you know who to listen to? And uh, just how do you know if you're doing a good job when it comes to online engagement? Yeah, that one's a tough one. Like as an individual, how do you know? Um, because it's so easy to start listening to the loud voices that are out there or the mean voices that are out there or something along that line. Early on, I found if I have a few trusted voices and I can go to them on a regular basis and ask them about things, it really changed the way I did social media, right? And sometimes it's that, you know, I'll, I'll go, do you see what's going on here? And I'm really upset about it. And they'll usually go, Jana, step away from the keyboard. Hmm. You know, um, if you're getting really upset and that, quite frankly, if all of us did a little more of that, like figure out a way to control our emotions, one, so you're not really afraid when you're making big choices or, you know, you're not outraged or something. I think there's a lot online that, that trigger those things. And too often, people let those kind of environments let them determine if they're doing well. Now, if your goal is to stoke outrage and have arguments online, great, go for it. Um, but if you're if you're trying to do something different, set what your goal is and know that's what your goal is. Talk to people about here's what I'm trying to achieve, and ask people you trust. Hey, are there some ways I could do it better? I think that's one of the things that our culture at the company, at the office, has really helped with is that all of us, when we are doing something and we're really proud of it, you know, like this podcast, I'm, I, I love that I got an opportunity to have this conversation with you, but I almost guarantee you that when I get back to the office and ultimately when people are listening to it, I'll ask, was there something I could have done that would have made it a little bit better? And so that that idea of learning in a environment where you really trust people for giving you really good feedback really is helpful. And I think that's where people go wrong on social media is they let people give them feedback who have not earned that trust. Hmm. I that's, think that, yeah, I do that all the time. I'm guilty of it. it it's hard to avoid, right? Because they're in your face mm -hmm. sometimes. And, um, and yet, why, why would you listen to them? Like, I mean, my grandmother would probably go insane watching what people listen to today, right? Because for her, you would have never listened to strangers say such horrible things or, you know, like, who are they and why do they matter? Um, and I think we've allowed ourselves to think that numbers of people matter or the, ver ver you know, like the level of volume they throw your way matters. Well, sometimes those people only represent like 12 voices in the entire world and you're letting them dis distract you from what you were doing where you were reaching dozens or hundreds or, you know, like think about what do you want to do? Hmm. Keep, your, keep your kind of mindset on what you're trying to accomplish and be compassionate to people who do come in, but don't let them take over full time what you're doing. 
Right. And I, I think that's extremely important because the 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 entirety of the Internet can be overwhelming. And so, you know, you have to kind of pick and choose uh, where do you want to represent yourself and who do you want to listen to on those platforms? One platform that that uh, I, I've been really impressed with you uh, on, and I think a lot of people are sort of overlooking it or they're just maybe don't know it exists is Quora. Can, can you tell us about Quora and where you found value in, in that? That's Q-U-O-R-A for those of you listening. I appreciate your spelling it because most people are going, what did he just say? <laughs> um, yeah, so Quora is, is one of these websites that I think is really undervalued by a lot of people. Um, it's a question and answer site. So if you have a question, you can go there and ask it. Other people go there to answer questions people have. I, I've done a little bit of both. Um, but, um, it's a unique space because they have a policy about, you know, be nice, be respectful. And that keeps some of the trolling behavior down. Now there's always going to be trolls that show up and stuff, but there's, you know, some mechanisms to try and get that dealt with, um, that seem a little more responsible than some of the others or responsive. I would say what Cora has done for me though, is it, took me from, I would write answers and maybe only a small number of people were looking at them, but the people who were looking at them were really interested, right? Mm. So I was reaching people who wanted to understand agriculture better, who were asking these questions and who did not know where else to ask them. Like most people in America do not have a farmer in their life, <laughs> right? Like my family, you know, I'm first generation to be involved in agriculture in four generations. So um, for, for people like my family, where do they go? They, they typically go in these different online venues. And I would say what's neat about Quora is it does really well with Google Juice because yeah. it's in questions and answers. And what's nice is when somebody answers, they have to give you some reason why you should consider them as a, you know, some area of expertise. So, so you get to see right there, why, why are they answering it? So if somebody's answering a question about Roundup and glyphosate, and I'm answering it as a, you know, a person who's worked with farmers and who works for the company who manufacture it, it's right there in the open. It's very transparent. That's mm -hmm. why I'm answering it. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been, for the company and for me as an individual, it's been amazing to see that my answers got so much attention. And over the last year or two, uh, Cora has started publishing my answers on places like HuffPo and Forbes and Apple News. So it really grew from me talking to just a few people on Quora, but finding those people were interested and asking more questions. And now, um, you know, it's really cool to see some of the stuff I do on those major media sites too. Yeah, and I, I love the question and answer format because I think sometimes we we want to um, help people understand the food system, but we sort of guess what questions they have, and and now we don't have to guess. We can go we can go to a place like Cora and know exactly what questions they have and, and answer them. And like you said, yeah, Google because so many people are googling questions, and it's the exact question that maybe on a Cora platform. Um, it, it does pick up some really really good results and and quite a bit of traffic. It seems like. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's let me meet some really cool people. <laughs> you know, on, on trips to Silicon Valley, I've been able to meet people at the Quora offices, um, just because I asked, right? Like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be in this part of the world anyway. And then later, next thing I knew, I was inviting, um, they give you a title called Top Writer. 
uh, some years. They give it out to a, a number of people, and I, I was lucky enough to be named one several times. And I've invited top writers out to farms and stuff, so we've taken some out to see how lettuce has grown and to discuss sort of how irrigation is handled in California and all those kind of things. And all of it came out of, you know, just using this nice little app on my phone or it's hard to believe sometimes. It is amazing. It's amazing. Well, I know uh, one priority for, for you has also been attending South by Southwest. I, I couldn't I couldn't tell in, in researching you online when the first time was you went there, but I could. I found a video from South by Southwest Eco in 2014. So I know it's been at least five years. That but must when, have been with Nick Astor at Triple Pundit. <laughs> it, could, it could have been. It's like a three-minute video where you answer three different questions. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I found that one on, on the YouTubes. But uh, when did you start going and why? So it's been five years I've attended. And first we went to the major one in March. And then that, that fall we went um, to the Eco Conference. And when we went to that one, we actually put forward several different ideas and had farmers go with us. And one of the panels was about, you know, sort of how the world around us is changing and what farmers are doing. Um, to make sure that we still are viable long term, um, the the larger conference, you know, it's it was overwhelming the first year. There's music, conf- you know, music shows everywhere, and there's films that are premiering, and you know, Lapita Nyong'o is there, and Elizabeth Warren is. It's like crazy what all goes on in something like that. So the first year it was a little disorienting, and and I was really just trying to take it all in. <laughs> you know, listen and, and experience it. And then next thing we knew, we were going, well, you know, here are some ideas that I think those people would be really interested in. And we started proposing panels and um, we started bringing more friends in agriculture with us and saying, you guys ought to be here too. You should see this. And this year it was kind of what I would feel like is a bit of a culmination. I, although I don't know what we'll do next year, so it could always be bigger and better. Uh, but this year we actually uh, were the foundational partner for a a space with Land Lakes. And it was really exciting to see people immerse themselves in ideas around agriculture and food and sort of start those conversations with all these curious learners that come to that conference. What's unique about South by Southwest? Why, why there versus, versus other events that might, might be, you know, tech and art related? Yeah, so I think the difference is, is, is one, size is a huge differentiator. I think this is the largest conference um, in the U.S. probably. It's hundreds of thousands of people. But there's also these different informational tracks. So like I told you, it was really hard for me to even take it all in the first year. Um, now I know that there's a track over here and it's all about food and it'll be going on for three days. And then over here, there's a track about blockchain technology and that's going to be going on. And over here, there's one on data and information analytics, right? So you start seeing these people who are presenting ideas from the fields in which they kind of live as natives. And um, you start learning how many people there are are there just to trade ideas. And so a lot of people go to the sessions that they're, they kind of live in, but then they can't help but go, I'd like to learn more about that, or I'm interested Mm. in that a little bit and I could learn more. And so this year I had a chance to be on a panel about disinformation and really it was, um, it was proposed by a group of people that do data and information kind of analytics 
um, there in uh, Austin area. And then they had somebody from an agency come in from New York and then me. And I was, you know, representing a company, a brand, an industry that had actually had to deal with disinformation. And the people in the audience represented every possible industry, right? There was a guy who was doing IT security and there was somebody from a major restaurant chain and then there was somebody from a really small PR agency and, you know, you get hundreds of people in a room and they're all interested in disinformation and what you do about it. And we were able to show up in a way and say, you know, this is something that has really been plaguing agriculture for a while. Information that is put out there, false information put out there purposely and is put out there in a way where it will get virality and be spread to a lot of people who don't know better. Right. And, um, and so that's, I think that's a really powerful place to, to be able to be there. If people are going to be talking about ideas and things that can shape our country and our culture for years to come, then they really ought to learn about agriculture. And so by going there, I've been able to, you know, meet up with people like I, I know you've met Rachel Loudon. She's been on the, the show, maybe. I know she you has. know her. She's wonderful. Um, and she's amazing. But, you know, I had talked to her and I'd met her at a conference in New York. And then since she was in Austin, I was able to see her. We were able to go to some different things. Um, you know, different people in agriculture are there. So it's always nice to touch base with them, but we're usually like doing it in the hallway as we're going two different directions so we can cover more ground and see more things that are happening and compare notes. And it's, it kind of lets all of us share that information with others in agriculture to, to make sure we all understand what we're, up, what we're in for in this big culture conversation. Right, and and the experience this this year with the the partnership with Lando Lakes, uh, tell tell us more details about that. Kind of what was the what was the hope that that participants would get out of that experience? Yeah, so for three days we had a rented uh, building that uh, Lando Lakes and and uh, Bear were working together in, and it was called the Copernicus Project. And the idea was like Copernicus when he stepped back and looked at the way the world was working. He realized science showed him it's a solar system. It, the earth is not the center of the world. And so what we were asking people is to kind of step back in food and let's look and see how complex this is. It may not just be an easy path. And so we asked them questions like, when you're deciding about food, what's most important? Nutrition, cost, the environmental footprint, all those kind of things. And different people got to show where their choices were made, but they also saw how complex it was for other people because other people were making totally different choices, right? And it may even, we had a question about the technology of gene editing. Would it be okay if it was used for, you know, for an environmental purpose or to make plants hardier against disease or, you know, all those kind of things that people in agriculture, we understand gene editing could be used for all these things, but a lot of people didn't. And it was a chance to trigger some of those kind of conversations, like get people to go, wait a minute, is that a GMO or is that, what is gene editing? And really kind of have conversations around those topics. 
biodiversity was another area that we talked a good bit about and and how farmers and scientists have always been looking at how to protect our environment and we're always looking for continual improvement. And then ultimately we had an area where we could have panels and we could bring in different people to talk about different topics. And Mark Young from the Climate Corporation was on a panel where talked about AI and the use of that in agriculture along with somebody from Winfield and somebody from Verizon <laughs> hmm. and somebody from the Gates Foundation, yeah. which is a very interesting combination of people that folks wanted to listen to. There was another session around food and sort of what's modern and what's old school. And we had a guy who had written a book. Uh, he actually was a staff writer at NetGeo. His name's Daniel Stone. He's written a book called The Food Explorers. It's a really cool book, but it helps you understand how all these crops got to the United States. And, um, you know, they're not native to America. So how, how did we get them here? And it talks about one of the people that did a lot of that work. And he talked with our chief technology officer, uh, Bob Ryder, and a woman from the University of Texas, uh, Robin Metcalf, who does Food Plus City. And the conversation between somebody who studied like this history of how plants came into the U.S., somebody who's working on the latest technologies, and somebody who's looking at where culture lies and where people are interested in food. I mean, conversations like that can't happen just anywhere, but at South by Southwest, you really do have a platform to let that happen, and, um, and it kind of blew people away, I think. That's that's fantastic. I I think it's so cool. I mean, just kind of the cross pollination of ideas. Uh, the the thesis behind this show is that you know innovation is a great gateway to to being interested in agriculture, whether it be from an investment standpoint or or entrepreneurship standpoint or just consumer standpoint. So we you know we focus on ag tech. Um, rural entrepreneurship, sustainability, and food security. And so I think those themes are directly related to South by Southwest, which is one of the big the big reasons I, I uh, wanted to use this excuse to get you on the show here. <laughs> um, I'm curious, in person though is a little bit different. You know, sometimes online, as we already talked about, can be really intimidating, uh, but you also can turn it off. And, and in person is a little different. If somebody's standing there and sort of, you know, trolling you in person, so to speak. Yeah, how, how do you handle that? Or do you get, did you have any of that experience either uh, in South by Southwest or elsewhere? I haven't had that, that experience recently, but probably five years ago when it's still under the Monsanto name um, and showing up in some places where people weren't accustomed to us showing up. Um, occasionally somebody would get really surprised by the fact that I was with Monsanto and, and they'd have some questions that maybe made me uncomfortable or something. Um, you know, I never felt like I was physically being threatened or anything, right. so let's yeah. not let it go too far. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, part of the benefit of, of joining the Bayer uh, company is that we have an opportunity to open up that conversation a little bit more. A lot of people don't know Bayer is in agriculture, and, um, but they do know Bayer Aspirin. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for them to um, what I've what I found here recently is that sometimes it's a lot easier to start a conversation when people know that they have some common ground with you. And um, Monsanto, it wasn't always as easy with members of the general public, but farmers certainly had a really good feel for Monsanto. Um, I always liked the name, but uh, I kind of see where there are real benefits to being part of another organization. Sure. 
for for a Janice person interview, this has been way light on cotton. So let's talk a, a little bit about about <laughs> cotton here. You did something I thought was awesome recently, and I don't think I've had a chance to tell you. So what better place than on this podcast? You featured, um, and I don't know if this is your words or or the words I'm attaching to it on your blog, a a cotton artisan. So somebody who was who was doing something kind of cool, artsy with a cotton related product. Can you talk yeah. about that? And and are we going to see more of that from you? You are going to see more of that. So um, in the last year or so, I decided to separate out my personal blogs, and one of them is now called 100% Cotton. So everything on the blog has something to do with cotton, um, but it's not all about farming anymore. So um, my friend Natasha does really beautiful hands, handbags and all kinds of different neat things. She does wallets. And so I've been asking some people that are doing those kind of things to help me with an article. So um, I have a couple more that are on the way. So someone's uh, telling me about her family's history with quilting. And of course, cotton figures into that, right? Um, you know, I love cotton sheets, cotton linens, all those kind of things. So it's it's kind of how I feel think more people search online about cotton. Mm -hmm. Not everybody thinks of cotton and thinks of a farm first. Um, but I hope when they search for cotton and they find like, here's how to, one of my most popular uh, blog posts is how to buy sheets, like what you need to know about thread counts and all this kind of stuff. It mm -hmm. like blows people's mind. But then I also get to link them back to some farm related content, right? So they're really interested in how to buy sheets but they might go, wow, that's kind of cool when it comes to, and did you know this about how cotton is grown? So I'm trying to kind of connect different areas. So draws in different people. I love it. I, I'm a huge supporter. I, you know, I don't own any cotton handbags, but uh, I think that is a, just a fantastic approach. And um, one place my mind has been a lot lately is when it comes to engaging with people about agriculture, um, finding something like that where, you know, they're not looking for how is cotton grown because how does that have anything to do with their lives? It doesn't, um, in their, in their mind. Um, but maybe they want, you know, some, some cool, something artisan and it can connect back to a story related to, to where it comes from. Uh, I think there's a lesson in there that, that a lot of us could take home about how to engage about agriculture kind of on their terms with what they care about. Um, and I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. And when you start with what they already care about, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you have information for them about, I mean, I've learned a lot about sheets. I will tell you, you go through some of the tours I've been through, some of the textile mills I've been through. I know experts in like laundry services and all kinds of weird things. I have learned about how to buy sheets, <laughs> but I think, I think it's interesting because, um, because then once people are there and they find you're really helpful, if you shine a light and say, here's something else I really care about, most of them are like, get that. Look at that. It's amazing how many people find the website over stuff like that. Absolutely. Yep. Um, well, Janice, I'll tell you, uh, obviously, somebody saw something in you um, to make you sort of the... Uh, the face and the only person a lot of people know in agriculture. And, and I think they couldn't have picked a more likable person. So I really appreciate everything you do for the industry. And I really appreciate you being on the show. Well, you know, I've written a blog post about that person and the farmers that he put me with first, but you know, we all have really good mentors, hopefully. And if not find one, I'm really excited that you're, that it's nice of you to say it that way that I'm, I'm known as that because it all tracks back to a man named Adam. 
All right. Well, we'll have to link to that blog post in the show notes. And if people want to follow you still, JP loves cotton on all platforms. Yeah, everywhere. <laughs> all right. JP loves cotton. We, we will link to you. Janice, thank you again for being on the show. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Thank you again to Janice for being on the show. I really enjoyed that. And I know that no matter where you're coming from uh, in, in wanting to listen to the show, this is relevant to you because this online engagement piece is something I think all of us are wrestling with in one form or another. So hopefully you got value out of that conversation with Janice and would highly encourage you to follow up with her. Hey, I have a request for all of you listening. If you know someone who is an agricultural producer, so farmer or rancher that sells direct to consumers and they have an online presence where a consumer can hop online and buy from them directly and get get it shipped, preferably anywhere in the lower 48 United States. I want to talk to them. Can you just provide an intro to me, Tim at aggrad.com via email? I would like to talk to them uh, to, to give you a little bit of an indication of what's to come on this show. I plan to profile as many of those people as I can in five minute segments inserted into this show as sort of a both an advertisement for them and their business for free. I'm not charging them anything, but also just interesting content relative to the future of agriculture. I think direct to consumer is going to be a model that continues to grow for a multitude of reasons that I'm sure we're going to cover. But uh, I also think it just makes for great content. And I would love to promote what those individuals are doing. So if you know anybody who is a producer, farmer, or rancher that sells what they produce direct to consumer online and can ship anywhere in the lower 48, I'd love to talk to them. If you're listening outside of lower 48, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to start here and then hopefully we can somehow expand this. I'm not quite sure what that looks like. But uh, anyway, this is kind of a working concept and I would love your help on it. So please let me know, Tim at aggrad.com. Thank you so much for your time, your attention, and your interest in being part of the solution instead of just part of the problem in making a better food system for all of us. We will be back next week with another episode. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week. Music.